It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown man run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. This is Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Jared Saltalamacchia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Baseball is not boring. We have t-shirts to prove it. We have a book coming out in March to prove it. And now we have a guest to prove it. Tim Breton of The Athletic. Tim, baseball boring, yes or no? On the record, off the record conversation? On background, I'll say baseball is not boring. Ooh. But, you know, don't, don't quote me on it. Okay, so tell me this. Tell me this. Like, we as writers, Tim Breton of The Athletic, Covers the Mets, also dabbles, dipping his toe in the national waters. Um, tell me what – you're a thoughtful guy. You went to Duke. By the way, right? Correct? <laughs> I was I, – I, like, I think the over-under on you mentioning that on this podcast was 90 seconds, and, and you hit on I actually, I actually visited Duke the other day for the first time ever. It's, it's strolled, a nice place. I strolled through Duke Gardens. Yeah. Uh, is that what you just did in the leisure time? No, no, uh, no, no, no. That was, <laughs> I strolled through Duke Gardens and thought, you know, like uh, <laughs> like any author does, right? I can tell you the bamboo this year is, is, is <laughs> magnificent. All right. Well, anyway, you're a thoughtful guy. What do you like best about baseball? Like, what do you like? So, like, when we say – we can have the players run around with the baseballs and boring T-shirts. We can have people on the podcast. And we've had some, and Coop can, can attest to this, is that we've had some really great answers when we've asked sort of like, okay, you know, tell us why baseballs are boring. We just had Eduardo Perez on last week, and he went for four minutes. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is like, like this should be screamed from the mountaintops. He was so good. He hit on every single thing. But as writers, we sort of like, oh, my God, really? No rain out? No time of game? But this, we're bringing it back to your roots. As you're strolling through Duke Gardens, what are you thinking about when you think about the magnificent uh, nature of baseball? 
first that I am not going to be able to do it as well as Eduardo did. Um, no, no way. Uh, I, no I way. saw that. Uh, I mean, or Papelbon, pa- by the way. Came close. Papelbon yeah. came very close. Papelbon? Yeah. Yeah, Papelbon like, like grown men in tight pants. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think like as someone who, who liked baseball growing up, but was it was not like the sport that was above and beyond all the other sports. Uh, I also liked basketball a lot. Uh, when I got into baseball, what's what's impressed me most about it is the more I learn about it, the more I like it. And I feel like, you know, there's there's a certain saturation point you reach with a lot of things in life. Uh, and baseball has not reached that to me in now 14 years of covering it, uh, 12 of them as a beat writer. And, and kind of the more you know about the sport, the more you want to know about other things that happen within the sport. I, I used to think that like, uh, football strategy was just at another level than than baseball could ever be. You know, what, what was baseball strategy? And then you have kind of one really good in-depth conversation with a starting pitcher and you understand uh, that there are 110 individual decisions that that pitcher has to make on a given day. Uh, and it's uh, a really complex series of, of decisions that are interconnected. Uh, and learning that side of things uh, has, has uh, really made me appreciate the sport on a deeper level than I did going into to, to doing this job. That's a pretty good answer. I'm not going to lie to you. That might be number two, Coop. I, that was, as far as, like, if we're throwing stuff in categories, that might be the most scholarly. Rich Hill, Rich Hill comes close, I think, but I think that was probably Ooh. the most scholarly. I, yeah. I doubt that I was as scholarly as Rich Hill. <laughs> well, we're going to find out. We'll ask him. He As, as a regular parent, uh, regular contributor to the podcast on Players Only Thursdays, Rich Hill. Uh, he he is going to be on, so we'll ask him your thoughts on Tim Britton's reaction. But, you know, when you said this, the thing that jumps to mind is that is covering it, right? So there's obviously there's watching as a fan and watching it even not as a fan, but just from afar. But covering it during the pandemic, this is the thing that we were reminded, right, Tim, is that there are so many things in the course of a baseball game where you want to ask about, but you don't want to set up a Zoom call for two weeks down the road. And and that was the thing that was taken away. And when, when we were allowed back in, that's a thing that you're like shot out of a cannon that we can actually not only we can we can look into this stuff, learn something about it, and then as writers, we can actually ask the people about it. Which which I, I know in the NBA, the access has gone the other way. NFL, it's a joke, you know. It, baseball is unlike that, and that's why I think both you and I like covering it the best, correct? Yeah, I mean, like, during 2020 and, and a lot of 2021, like, you couldn't ask, couldn't sidle up next to a pitcher and be like, why did you throw that pitch in that no. spot? Uh, and, you know, they would know it's not for, it's not leading off your story, but it would be, an, a, you know, an insight into their thinking in any given spot. Uh, and you're not going to ask that in a Zoom call. And if you do, you're not going to get a candid or honest response uh, and so to, to have that that interplay back has been uh, really refreshing. I you know I think for a lot of that time when we didn't have it, I, I doubted we would ever get it back. And I, I, I didn't think we, I didn't think that, we were getting back in the clubhouse. No, yeah, you and, know, and, and a lot of people of, think, and a lot of people, Tim, like will say, "Oh, who cares? They're, they're complaining. They don't need to be." It, no, man. This, this is this is one of the reasons why baseball is different because we are allowed to do the things that you're talking about. And because players are generally more open than in some other sports, you know, I, I, I dabbled in covering football when I was in, in Providence. Uh, and, you know, you ask a, an NFL player kind of, what did you see on that touchdown you scored? And they'll tell you they have to see the film. 
to remember what it was like, uh, where you can ask, you know, and you're certainly not going to ask uh, an offensive coordinator, like, why did you call that play in that spot? Uh, but you can ask a pitcher that, and they'll tell you. And, uh, a, a hitter will tell you what he was looking for when he hit a home run. They're doing it in the middle of games now to Ken Rosenthal and Tom Verducci. Oh, crazy. Uh, like, you know, imagine – Imagine that in an NFL game, like no. sidling up to Bill Belichick and saying, why did you call that play? No, well, I mean, I know that people immediately say, well, they do that in hockey all the time. Okay, that's fine. And I, I was surprised at the the pushback that people had, you know, when Ken Rosenthal's interviewing JT Real Muto after getting the, the big home run or whatever, a big hit, or, you know, right our obviously Bryce Harper – this, you know, this is what you have to do, and and I don't like and Coop like I can't remember if we talked about being the mic'd up stuff or not. The uh, we we've we've dabbled in it. Joe Kelly got into it. He likes to talk about it. Yeah. So, oh, that's right. When we had, I don't know. Are you familiar with Joe Kelly, Tim? You know him. He, oh, the he he used to host a pot, cup of Joseph. Was that was that Joe Kelly? Oh, so close, so close. We so Coop. <laughs> I don't even think you know this, that we were the first iteration of the Joe Kelly podcast was supposed to be Cup of Joseph, uh, which I went out and actually in Fort Myers bought a tape recorder for. And then the front office of the Red Sox put the kibosh on it. I think I think you've told me this like behind doors and not on not on the podcast. Yeah, before. yeah. Well, well, Tim, if in case you aren't, from, if that's the only thing you're familiar, he's also one of the great authors of our time, of our generation. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's 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 one of the things that we talked with Joe about the miking or the the being interviewed. He was a huge proponent of it. I think that he is of the ilk of of we need to do everything we can. We can't shy away. We have to do what these other sports are doing. And I kind of with you. The, the the only thing I draw back on is I do not want to see anyone mic'd up in the postseason. I don't want to see anyone. Because in the postseason, like, you're, the, the game is supposed to be the thing that you're supposed to be entertained by, right? I get it. 162, sometimes you just aren't entertained. Sometimes you get to mic guys up. But when Ramon Lariano is being mic'd up in a playoff game, like, sorry, I'm out. I don't like that. You're but out on that? During the playoffs. The playoffs, give me the it. playoffs could be good give enough. The playoff, what did you call me? Did you call me an idiot? No, I said give me oh. it. Oh, right. I would never call you an idiot. You what, I'm the idiot you, here. What, Tim, what do you think? No, I, I'm, I'm with Rob on this because, to, you know, so often those conversations, they go in kind of weird directions. Um, and they can be fun directions, certainly. Like the, the Mets had it this past season with Mark Canna when he was on mic'd up for ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, they've done it in spring training plenty of times. And like, you know, the all-star game, I thought everyone, you know, most people I think really enjoyed having the the bikes on on pitchers and catchers when they're pitching and kind of going through it that way. But uh, in the playoffs, I mean, Nick Castellanos has talked about how his focus needs to be on the play at hand and not on the global economy or whatever it was in global events he was talking about. Uh, and, and the vote, you know, you should be, there's, there is enough within a, a playoff baseball game for a broadcast to talk right. about uh, in depth and, and thoroughly uh, without having to ask uh, the center fielder like what he likes to do on the road. Yeah, and and the thing is, like in terms of the dugout um, interviews, that there isn't. And Joe talked about this. There's an acceptance of it. So 
if they're mic'd up, right, there's an acceptance of it. There's an acceptance of it. You're not going to get the side eye from the guy down the dugout or or the guy, what are you doing being mic'd up during the regular season? In fact, it becomes a competitive thing, I think. And that's where ESPN sort of leaned into it. And that wasn't a bad thing because, once again, this is a, a long season and you have to do things like that, but playoffs are different. But, Tim, that's not why we brought you on. We didn't bring you on to talk about Duke Gardens. We didn't talk bring you on to talk about players being mic'd up or interviewed. We didn't bring you on even to, to regale uh, us all with stories about how I forced you as a young reporter to order something with seafood in it so I could pluck it out of your, your dish, which is a real, very real story. Coop, get ready. You and Seafood Towers. Yeah, well, was, tell me about it. It was, it was <laughs> Seafood Tower. It was, it was just pasta with seafood, but, you know. Tim does not eat seafood, but I was happy to uh, to save him. So anyway, we have not brought you on. So we were thinking, Coop and I were thinking about this, about, you know, you have all these names, you have all these free agents, and you did an excellent job. I mean, when I say this, I really mean it. I'm not just lying. I'm not just saying it. You did an excellent job in the athletic of breaking down really what these guys might be getting, the top free agents. But I just, in a simplistic term, Tim, for a guy that you covers, you cover Jake DeGrom, Jacob DeGrom, otherwise known as Jacob DeGrom, <laughs> is it the, the simple question that we have is for a guy like him, because I think that he's, of all the free agents, he's talked about, but he's not talked about. Like Aaron Judge has talked about, the shortstops have talked about. He's kind of talked about, but you're always sort of going with a wary eye with any starting pitcher because we not understand the, the risks that you run with the starting pitcher. The flat-out question is, is Jake DeGrom worth signing if you're a team for what he's going to cost? You, having covered the Mets, know more better than anybody. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I believe so. I mean, he's been uh, the best, uh, you know, from 2018 through 2020, he was pretty incontrovertibly the best starting pitcher in baseball. Uh, and actually from 20, the start of 2018 through the, the all-star break of 2021, because that's when he went down for the first time. Uh, and then he, he doesn't pitch for 13 months. Uh, and, and now you say for the last five years, he's been the best per start starting pitcher in, in Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, every starter is going to have injury concerns. DeGroms are higher than most, not just because he's going to play next season at, at 35, uh, but because he missed those 13 months. And it wasn't, you know, it's it's easier if it's just Tommy John surgery. You know, you understand, like with Verlander, it was one thing. He missed a lot of time. He came back. That happens. Uh, with DeGrom, it was these series of smaller things that that just kept kind of unraveling on him. Uh culminating in the, the stress fracture in his right scapula that cost him the first four months of this season. Uh, and you know, like there is justifiable skepticism about uh, a, any pitcher's capability to throw as hard as he does, as consistently as he does at any age, let alone his. I mean, this is a guy who was throwing 93 in college, uh, and now he's throwing 99, 100 uh, with regularity. Um, but all that said, I think the, the bar that he's set for himself is so – ridiculously high like you have there, there were Mets fans who talked about like how awful he finished the season and one of the you know the data points for his bad finish to the season there was one bad start in Oakland I'll, I'll grant you that um, was a game in which he struck out 13 out of 15 Pirates in one stretch and then gave up a three-run homer uh, and then he, he went six innings and gave up two runs in a playoff game and that was viewed as like yeah not that good you know 
And, and how many starters in Major League Baseball can go out and pitch six innings and allow two runs in an elimination playoff game uh, the way DeGrom did in game two against San Diego? And it's viewed as kind of disappointing because he didn't seem quite as dominant as we're used to. Like, it's just, it's been mind-blowing to see him raise the bar the way he has, starting from, from 2018 uh, with, with just the consistency that he had and then raising, you know, the strikeout rate. I think he struck out 42% of opposing batters uh, in 2022 in his uh, 11 starts. Uh, that's that's a lot. Uh, that's that's more than decent amount. I think, decent amount. <laughs> I think that that's more than every reliever except Edwin Diaz and Pete Fairbanks, and Fairbanks only threw like 20 innings. Uh, so uh, it's it's really having kind of reliever like dominance in a starting pitcher. And is he going to throw 200 innings ever again? Probably not. Is he going to throw 160 innings uh, if you sign him to a three or four year deal in any of those seasons? You're not banking on it. But you are saying if he can give us 120 of the best innings we're possibly going to get, uh, and if he's healthy in October, uh, then you're talking about as high a ceiling as anyone uh, in baseball. Where do you where do you think he lands in terms of his deal? You know, I, I think I don't think he gets quite Scherzer's AAV. That Scherzer got the three years, 130 million, so 43.3. Uh, I think Verlander probably beats that or gets right around it. I think Drum's probably a little shy of that. I think the real question is how, how long you go with him. You know, we've seen plenty of teams that are interested in the high AAV short-term deal. Like the Dodgers offer, you know, the Bryce Harpers of the world. Like, we won't sign you for 13 years like Philly, but we'll give you three years at a ridiculous salary. Um, and so I think you'll have enough teams in at that level, kind of with creative structures saying, you know, vesting options for a fourth or a fifth year that – it's kind of it reminds me a little bit of the Pedro Martinez situation after 2004. Like, who's going to guarantee a fourth year here? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and I think I think someone comes along and and guarantees a fourth year, raises the uh, sorry, lowers the AAV a little bit to where it's it's you know only uh, like 36 or 37 million dollars per year. Uh, but I think that's probably where he ends up. That that's what I I say in a, a piece that's coming out on on Wednesday at the Athletic that that four years kind of 148 million. Is, is what's stuck in, in my mind, which is a, a huge deal for a guy that's only made 26 starts over the last two right. seasons. But uh, because of how good he is when he does pitch for you, it uh, seems like it, it's a worthwhile gamble for someone. Now, you mentioned Verlander. And, you know, a lot has been made the last couple of years about how his embracing, you know, especially once he get to Houston, how he embraced using all the resources there, how he's embraced his physical conditioning and the whole Brady thing and whatever. Where does Jacob deGrom fall on that? And, and obviously, as you mentioned, he's he's evolved into something that is in, insanely good, whereas before, you know, he was good, but not as insanely good as he ended up. What? How is he in that respect? Because that's important, right? If we're talking about this, say he gets the four-year deal. you If you want to get to that fourth year, you have to have a guy who's going to adjust, who's going to adapt, who's going to put in the time who's going to, you know, not slough off all of that. Where does he fall with that stuff? Yeah, I don't think you have any concerns about him putting in the time. Like, he's uh, he's, he's kind of notorious for having a poor diet uh, and not being able to add oh, weight anyway. There it is. Britain Cullen, <laughs> the Grom has poor diet. Uh, I believe I believe it was James Wagner, uh, the New York Times, who wrote about it in depth, and probably Anthony DiComo at MLB.com. <laughs> I, I did not write the story. I don't want to take credit for it uh, in either direction. Um <laughs> But, but you know, like he he was in as good a shape as he's ever been in at the end of this season and just physical conditioning um, and what he looked like. Um, 
you know, his, his, like his ability to go deep into games wasn't there because he hadn't built up over the course of the season. Uh, but I think one of the really interesting things about him was, okay, so he, he won the Cy Young in, in 2018 throwing 97 miles an hour. Uh, he won the Cy Young in 2019 throwing maybe 98. Uh, and then in 2020, he came out throwing 100. Uh, and in 2021, he came out throwing 101. And his results were even better, but he got hurt. Um, the Mets have had this idea that, you know, Jake, you don't need to throw 101 every time. Like, you can have that in your back pocket. But, you know, I remember, you know, covering Chris Sale in Boston. He had that idea of the BP fastball that he would throw first pitch to a number nine hitter in a lineup at 91 or 92. And he'd still have 98 in reserve. I mean, Jacob DeGrom's BP fastball is 97. Uh, mm-hmm. You can get by with that, uh, but still having the, the rest in reserve. And we saw him do that a little bit more at the end of the season. He'd been reticent to do that for a year and a half, basically. Uh, but he started to do that a little bit at the end of the season. Uh, you know, didn't have his best results in part because of it. But it will be interesting to see, like, does he stop chasing a one flat ERA the way that he was for most of 2021 and throwing 101 with the chance of injury? Or does he say, you know what, I can have a two ERA if I throw 97, uh, and that's perfectly fine? Um, you know, does, I think there is the sense that he he set again set the bar so high for himself that you know a, a seven inning two run start is a disappointment for him too, not just people who watch him. Uh, and that maybe if he sets that bar just a little lower, he'll be able to, to post a little bit more. Where does he end up? I, you know, I think Texas is the team that stands out to me. Yeah, uh, it's they, a team that has want, to, they want they want themselves some starting pitching. Yeah, they have money. They they could use a starter. They could use a frontline starter. Uh, and uh, it's you know. DeGrom is from Florida. Texas is not super close, but it, it fits kind of his his laid-back attitude you a little bit more. Did you? You. <laughs> I, I know my geography. Uh, so I, I think that's the team that, if I'm the Mets, that's the team that probably sticks out to me as the, the biggest competitor. I know a lot of Mets fans are really concerned about Atlanta because uh, that is pretty close to where DeGrom grew up on, on the Gulf Coast. But uh, I, I don't see the I don't see Atlanta having kind of the, either the room in the rotation or the desire to go to to where Degrom is going to go financially to make that work. You on board with that, Coop? Uh, I would like to see him in Boston. Selfishly, <laughs> I, I because Boston needs some pitching, but it's also I'm just not going to go out and spend like that. And it's also I. How about, how about the Dodgers? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, sure. I, was I that think a question that's... to me or was that a question to Tim? It was... It's for the room. For the room? Yeah, sure. Why not? I don't I mean, I don't well, know yeah, if that's going to be able to get the Dodgers over that hump. I mean, they had Max Scherzer and they weren't even able to kind of get over that playoff hump. So it, I, I think it might be a manager issue for the Dodgers. Maybe that's where they need to start looking instead of pitching. But, I mean, it would be nice to see him in uh, Tinseltown. I mean, L.A. can like I think they're one of those teams that would definitely be interested in like two years at a huge AAV for for DeGrom or Verlander. Really, yeah, that's uh, what they I both thought, kind of fit yeah. that mold. Um, I don't know if either you know if either of those guys can get more than that in terms of years. They'll probably go for it. But the, the Dodgers have the experience with Clayton Kershaw of making like this guy's not going to make thirty two starts. He's not going to throw one hundred and eighty innings, but he's going to be really good for us when he pitches. Uh, they've made that work with Kershaw. So, you know, why not be able to – they made it work with Rich Hill, too, when he was there, um, yeah. the scholarly Rich Hill. Uh, so they can they can make it work with DeGrom, too, if they want to. Is that is that officially change his name, the scholarly Rich Hill? <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see it on baseball reference shortly, I'm sure. Oh. oh. All right. So um, we have to ask you why you're here. 
the other, uh, not anything about your perfect score in the SATs, um, <laughs> but we have to ask you about Edwin Diaz, the Edwin Diaz deal, um, which is, I think that that was a, you can look at it a few different ways. From from teams who are, are relying on the free agent market, you can look at it as a shot across the bow of the reality of free agency. It, or you could just look at it as this crazy Steve, you know, just getting ready to spend a bunch of money. You know, as Coop, you know, I think you mentioned the style, it's like this is Steinbrenner Jr. or whatever it is. You may have not mentioned that, but I'm going to give that. I said that he was throwing money around like uh, Hal Steinbrenner's dad. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was I a little bit more disrespectful in it. Okay. You're welcome. All right. So, uh, you know, when that comes out, are you surprised that was so it's not a done deal as we sit here, right. but we think it's like five years, what, 100 million? And uh, is that right? Correct. It's five, five, five for 102 is what's been reported with an opt out after the third year and a, a club option for the sixth year. Uh, all good for Edwin Diaz. So uh, does that, did that surprise you at all? I know they like the trumpets, I know they like the results, but this is a crazy, crazy contract for a relief pitcher. So, what you know, it, thoughts? It, it didn't surprise me just because if you look at, uh, like, I, I thought he'd get five for 100 flat. Uh, you know, if you look at what uh, Aroldo Chapman got after 2017, uh, Kenley Jansen, or sorry, after 2016, both of those guys, I think Chapman's was five for 86. So this is kind of the net, the next progressive step, as as John Farrell would, would say. Um, uh, that, that was kind of where the, the top level market for a, an elite closer was going. And I'm not surprised the Mets were the team to get him there, not, not because of Steve Cohen necessarily, but because they really boxed themselves in with their bullpen. You know, it's not just Edwin Diaz who's hitting free agency for them. It's their top five in reliever innings are hitting free agency. They've got one returning reliever who threw more than 20 innings for them last year uh, in Drew Smith. So, uh, you know, they were going to have to hit free agency hard in, in the bullpen. Uh, and, you know, you can say that, that man, guaranteeing $100, $102 million to a reliever is crazy. It's such a volatile position. We've seen Edwin Diaz himself, the last time he had a season as good as this one in 2018, was one of the worst relievers in baseball the next year in 2019 with the Mets. Um, but it's it's probably just as – it's just probably as safe a gamble as going out there and trying to sign six different guys for $9 million each this well, next season well, and hoping they work the out. Red Sox. You right. Know it's, you know, it's it's – it's it's really hard to you know if you're if you're trying to sign six relievers you're hoping that three work out really the Mets are in that position they just now only have to sign five more and they've got a pretty good feeling about the first one. Yeah, it's also it's just the cost of doing business, as you said. I mean, it's and you know I mentioned this when we were sitting down with Heim and talking about you know he's talking about the bullpen and not working up, making them lose sleep, so forth and so on. And I just asked him like at some point you have to pay for certainty, and there's no such thing as certainty in baseball. We get that. But but the idea of certainty, as certainty as you can, and sometimes you have to pay for that um, of some of these guys who have done it before, who you think is going to do it at least for a little bit, bit while longer. That's what we were talking about with Edwin Diaz. And then you can throw all the other guys against the wall, you know, and see how many st- – that's fine. Like you said, the Mets are going to have to do that. They can't pay for certainty across the board. But, you know, in this world of – of we're taking the deep dive into analytics, and I know this guy had an 11 ERA, but it's this was was off the charts. And we if we tweak here, tweak there, he's going to be our John Schneider, our Schreiber, or or Garrett Whitlock. You know that's I think that way of thinking is way too prevalent nowadays. 
I just think that you need something in your bullpen that at least hints at certainty. I don't know. If it's funny. I'll, I'll tell the story to you because you would appreciate it, Rob. You know, if, way back when I was covering the Red Sox, I did a, a story on the free agency of David Ross and Burke Badenhop. I talked to them all offseason long. And, and Badenhop uh, was, you know, like a middle reliever at the time. A guy who threw sixth and seventh innings, sinker baller, did a decent job. You know, ERA around three and a half most of the time. Uh, and deep into that free agency, he expressed a little frustration in that, you know, there's so many teams that treat the bullpen where they're just trying to sign, well, this guy might be good. This guy might be good. This guy might be good. And there's a guy like me out there who's going to be – who you know what you're getting. You know you're getting a three – like it's not going to be lights out. It's not going to be a, a 40% strikeout rate. But you know what you're getting with me. I'm going to be fine. Uh, and that teams don't – you know, that that's a harder market to find in the relief market. Uh, and one other thing with the Mets and Diaz is, is he wanted to be here – uh, and, you know, the, the challenges of playing in a market like like New York or like Boston or, or other places uh, for him to rebound the way he did from a first season in, in New York that went as catastrophically badly as it did in 2019 uh, really speaks to like his bounce back ability. So some kind of internal resolve that he has that makes him really good for this role anywhere, but especially in New York that you feel, you know, that, that he was able to win back the fans after that kind of season. Uh, you don't see that very often. Uh, and it's pretty remarkable that he was able to do that. More, more importantly, being there in person, all these games, the, the Timmy Trumpets thing, it, it, was it, it, you know, we look at it and we had Papelbon on because that's what we do. When you talk about closer entrance, entrance music, you go to the source, the Godfather, forget about Mariano or Trevor Hoffman, Papelbon. And he, he actually said the Timmy Trumpets one was, Number one, he was number two, which I thought was like wow. a big tip of, tip of the chapeau, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, although I did talk to Felix Batista of Baltimore, and he said that his was better, which, <laughs> hey, listen, you got to have confidence in that role, but okay, Felix, I don't know about that. So uh, it was, did it get old, or did it, was that like it wasn't a, still a cool – you lived through – the Papelbon, uh, did, did you? Did, yeah, yeah, yeah. You one season. Thing. Yeah, you lived through Alfredo Aceves, you know, his uh, <laughs> great, great entrance music for Alfredo Aceves. I've got that on a Spotify playlist somewhere. <laughs> so, was it, is it, is it, this is for the people who weren't privy to it on a day in, day out basis? Was it like campy or was it like, like, okay, you know, this can last, we like this? No, I, I think it, it was it was good. You know, we, like we heard it at first in 2020 in front of no crowd. Um, and it was, you know, Diaz coming off that that rough season in 2019. And so the thought was just, man, like how cool would it be if there were people here and they were excited for him to come into the game? And there were a lot of things that had to happen between the start of the 2020 season and, and, and by the middle way, of 2022. The, the TV camera, the, the, what is it, SNY, is that right? SNY? <laughs> Like they, I think they they leaned into it too the right way. Fall no man, I mean that helped as well. So, yeah, yeah. They, like their director John DeMarsico does a really cool job with with stuff like that. Uh, and like they, you know, SNY they would stick if top of the ninth ends uh, or sorry, bottom of the eighth ends. They 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 don't go to commercial. They stick around so that you know you at home see Edwin Diaz coming in for the top of the ninth in a save situation. Uh, so I would say my my one complaint was it reached a point where everyone was just recording it on their phones. And so you didn't have like people clapping along or anything. So the, the actual noise in the ballpark lowered a little bit. Uh, but to be there like the night that Timmy Trumpet played, uh, this guy who had never seen a baseball game 
before that week. Uh, and speaking of leaning in, like he leaned all the way in uh, to that performance and that song. Uh, that, that was pretty cool. That was one of the highlights of the year. Oh, that's so good. So you boots in the ground, Tim Britton. Uh, the last thing is doing the exercise that you did with the, the article that you wrote about projecting where some of these contracts are going to be. Go and it's an exhaustive thing. Like it's like it's it's taking a deep dive. It's not just saying, "Hey, I think this guy's going to get this. This guy's getting that." And I know that like MLB trade rumors, they're remarkably accurate, but they don't really explain. It, it's a quick blurb. They're right on almost. So whatever formula they're using usually is right. But um, what is the thing that of the what was the one guy going through that process? It jumped out like I did not realize this, and this surprised me. You know, I, I think I hadn't realized kind of uh, how good Trey Turner has been. Like, I, you know, I saw him in, in Washington against the Mets for a few years. Uh, but, you know, I, th- I think there's still the idea that like, well, Carlos Correa is, is the guy at shortstop, uh, even more so than Turner. But you look at Turner's numbers uh, over the last several seasons. He's, he's been better than Correa. Uh, he's been almost as good as Aaron Judge. And, and to be honest, like Aaron Judge's numbers jumping out the way they did, like an 11 win walk year is just absurd it was as i I mentioned the story it was better than the walk years of albert pujols and robinson cano combined and those guys both signed for 240 million dollars um but turner uh like you know he does it a little unconventionally because speed is such a big part of his game and you wonder uh whether teams will be wary of giving him uh a huge long-term nine or ten year deal because how does that speed age uh for him uh, but he's just been, you know, for a guy who hasn't won an MVP, I don't think he's been in the top three in an MVP yet. Uh, he's just been a remarkably productive player, especially these last three seasons, uh, that it's, it's really impressive what, what he's done. I like it what you landed with Bogarts too. And I, I, I thought this the same thing about the Simeon deal. You know, it's, it's, you know, Simeon was a little bit older when he signed the deal, his deal, but yeah, that's where it, it makes so much sense to me. And this is talking Red Sox for a second, but it, it makes so much sense sense to me when the team is going to make your offer that you 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 have to come close to the comps, and even though they're not the identical players, so Simeon not the identical players, Bogarts, but enough similarities where you're going to end up over the seven years one uh, one seventy five. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, seventy years, one seventy-five, and I'll give you another one. You know, Devers. You know, the the report out there that Devers was asking for three hundred uh, in ten years. I'm like, yeah, of course he is. It's a Machado contract, right? You're both twenty-six years old, and I get it. Like Machado's a better defender, but you know, Devers is an impactful player in his own right. That's what you should offer him. It makes all the sense in the world. So, yeah. So there you go. There's my rant about that. But yeah, I think I think with 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 Bogarts and, and like the, the tough thing to do with this is uh, you know I kind of look at guys and, and compare them historically to other players, but you have to kind of factor in who they're up in, who they're in the market with at the same time, and that's why Semyon works even better for Bogarts because they were both in kind of these packed shortstop markets. Uh, you know, Correa was part of both of them. Uh, you had Trevor Story last year as well, Corey Seager, uh, and so. You know, if Bogarts is the only major shortstop hitting free agency this year, yeah, he's going to beat what Marcus Semien got. Uh, if Semien were the only major major shortstop slash second baseman with last year, he was going to beat what he ended up getting. Uh, so you got to factor in that context. That's why I think you know a guy like Swanson, uh, who I, I had making just a little bit less than Bogarts, I think seven and one sixty eight, 
Uh, like he's a guy, again, like if, if he's the top shortstop on the market, he's getting a $200 million deal. Uh, but he's not. He happens to be fourth, probably, uh, and teams are going to value him that way. And, and there's only so many teams that are willing to give a shortstop $200 million, and there's probably not four of them this this winter. Coop, you got anything for Tim? Nothing? No, I think that, that was a that was a whole lot. We, yeah, well, we covered a ton there. He's, he's a smart guy. I take credit for his stories. You know, <laughs> Nick, Nick, Nick Punto was the source. Our old friend, uh, World Series correspondent, Nick Punto, was the source of one of the great Tim Britton stories of all time. Right, Tim? Correct? Yeah, I, uh, I wrote a, a nice story about Nick Punto in Miami, I believe it was. Uh, and the next day, he came up to Rob and said, great story, Rob. Really appreciated it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. And this is the only reason he still thinks I wrote that story. That's why I came on our <laughs> World Series. That's why comes Series. on all the time. That's why our World Series correspondent. So, by the way, happy birthday to Nick Punto today. Happy birthday. Oh, happy uh, birthday, Nick. Shredder. Yeah, I, mean, there, I mean, no, there you go. Who knew that you were going to do If I told you 10 years ago, you'd be doing a podcast <laughs> on Nick Punto's birthday. That was crazy. Uh, all right, Tim. Thanks, man. Keep up. Have, enjoy your paternity leave. So, oh, thank uh, you very much. Yeah, yeah. that's that's well, why I'm in. The, that's why I'm in the basement here, so that uh, my yeah. son can sleep. If, if that makes you feel better, then go run. Then run with it. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but excellent. Keep up the good work. We appreciate it, and uh, and we'll talk to you later. Oh, anytime. Thanks for having me. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of the Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field, and then I. Uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.